You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to Let's Talk Apple, episode 84. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts, and this is the show for August 2020. Joining me today, I have a wonderful panel that is quite broadly distributed geographically. Um, from the far side of the far side of the continent on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, I am joined by Adam Christensen from the MacCast. Hi, Adam. Hey, how you doing? It is great to hear your voice again. Yeah, it's been way too long, way too long. Things have just been, you know, wild and 2020? crazy. Out, outside, of, outside of the other wild and crazy that's just happening in the world. But yeah. Yeah, and those those eight time zones, they do get in the way from time to time. <laughs> and, uh, and just I went back to a, a, a day job a while back and that's been keeping me busy and family's been keeping me busy. So just haven't been able to pop in. You invite me every, every month and uh, I'm glad to be back here finally. Yeah, well, as I said, delighted to have you. Uh, also then joining me, but from the literally geographic opposite, but not nearly as far away, just a, a hop across the Irish Sea, we are joined by Simon Parnell from the Essential Apple Podcast. Hi, Simon. Hello, lads. Good to have you back. Um, it's been a while since we've heard your voice too, actually. Uh, yeah, not... Um, well, I did have a bit of a spell where I seemed to have ensconced myself, so I did. Uh, I think I'd uh, let a few other people have a shout, you know. <laughs> well, variety is the spice of life and all that, right? Exactly. Well, anyway, it is a pleasure to have both of you here. Uh, normally, August is the month where I struggle to find news. Well... 2020 is full of surprises, and uh, among those surprises is the fact that there is no shortage of Apple news whatsoever for August of 2020. So uh, without further ado, let us get stuck in with some follow-ups to ongoing stories. And obviously, it's 2020, so the ongoing story du jour is, of course, um, our viral friend. Um, A fair few developments, actually, in the exposure notification slash contact tracing arena. Um... Apps have continued to roll out, but just a few days ago, we got a much more substantial change than just apps rolling out. Um, Apple and Google announced the next phase of their API. They had said actually back in April that it would be baked into the OS at some stage. So it would start off that you would have an API for apps and then it would become baked into the OS. Well, we now have a better understanding of what that means. It's called Exposure Notifications Express. And it means that governments don't need to write an app if they don't want to. They can write an app if they want, and they can use the API like many governments have been doing, including the Irish government. Or they can simply put up the appropriate backend, create a config file, and then the OS will be all that users need. So this exists in iOS 13.7, and it's coming in Android 6 later in the month. So fingers crossed and touch wood, this brings a lot more COVID apps to a lot more states in a lot more parts of the world. That would be helpful. Yeah, I mean, I, I have worry. I've been, Ireland has had an app for a month and a half or so, maybe two months. So I I literally ran it from day one. The moment it became available, I downloaded it. And it works a treat. Um, and the Irish government did a shockingly good job. The thing is 
well written, clear, concise, explains the privacy stuff extremely well. It's it's actually a really pleasing app. And so I've had the experience of using it. And to me, I'm really happy with how it's working. But I don't think either of you guys have had the same pleasure. Uh, no. Well, let's just say our shower couldn't organise a proverbial drink in a um, brewery. I believe the last I heard, the take two on the British app, um, which is using the Apple Google API this time, is back on trial on the Isle of Wight where the take one version went to die. So fingers crossed, touch wood. Indeed. Well, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that they can do it, you know, and make a half, at least as good a job as, uh, you know, Ireland have done because they seem to have done an excellent job. Um, yeah, and Northern just Ireland, hope, and actually, then we just want people to take it up. Well, that's the other thing. But uh, in Ireland, actually, we're I think we're close on two million up people taking it up now, uh, and the adult population is only a little over three million. So that's actually not bad. So we're doing quite that's well. Pretty, that's pretty good because I was reading today in France, only three percent of their population have taken up their tracing app. Yep, that is not Yeep. sufficient. <laughs> <laughs> that is about as much use as. Uh, bucket with a hole in the bottom yeah well we've already had cases successfully identified via the app here so it has done its thing as it should adam i don't really know what's going on in california um i know that there are some american states um actually looking at the show notes here it is virginia north dakota wyoming alabama and pennsylvania have their apps um any sign of anything your neck of the woods not no and you would think maybe because California is a little more on it than others, but not in terms of an app. I think they have programs. Um, <laughs> one might even be a phone thing. Um, but yeah, nope, not there yet. Uh, and I don't know if that ties into, and they're, they're also, you know, we've got a lot of kind of stricter privacy laws and stuff like that. And I guess there's been concerns about that. But I mean, the whole point, I think, of what Apple and Google is doing is that that part's supposed to be taken care of, right? So Right, and the first country to roll one out was Germany, who are, like, I mean, Europe as a whole is quite privacy aware, but Germany leads the pack. So if Apple and Google's API has passed muster in Germany and many other European countries under the GDPR, I don't think that's the issue. I think it was also also interesting that Germany originally said they weren't going to go with the Google app and then having examined it decided they would so that says something as well it does actually and they've actually been quite happy with it and it's worked out well for them Um, also in Italy, Switzerland France, I believe the Belgian app is due to launch sometime in September in theory it it is happening in Europe and I, I do so hope more of it happens in America soon. Well, a lot of a lot of states are doing their own thing, I think, and just like I don't know, I don't I don't understand the mentality because people have Android phones, they have Apple phones. I don't know why or what the hangups are. I don't follow that stuff real closely either because it gets so political, and I just don't like it. So it shouldn't know, get political, but that's easy to say. Oh uh, well, yeah. this is America. <laughs> And, I mean, you guys are it's political, <laughs> and you're in mid-election cycle, right? So if ever it's going to be political, now is it. 
Uh, well, and yeah, you have, a, but you also, because, you know, being big with state rights too, like it all really comes down to the individual states in a lot of ways. So, you know, it's not like, I guess the federal government could step in and like try to mandate things, but you know, that, that always becomes a big fight too. So it doesn't have to be mandate, right? The other way the, the federal government can step in is to offer, is to offer a solution. Not not to mandate one, but to to just step in and say, anyone who wants it, come and get it. You know, here's a boilerplate app. You you tell us this detail, this detail, and this detail, and we'll spit out an app for you. Have a nice day, right? Again, I'll repeat, this is America. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I'm being old, old. Yes, Pollyanna and stuff. But anyway. Um, it's, I, I'm totally with you. Like, it seems logical. Yes, but. Yes, yeah. but we live here Logic in 2020. Does not very often, and I'm not to speak bad of where I live. I, I love where I live. I love our freedoms and things like that. But that also comes with other uh, other issues, as and we've seen. By the way, the sovereignty year. between the states in Europe is at least as big of a deal as states' rights within. That's true, um, because the European Union pretends not to be a country, so the countries within the European Union are even more picky about their rights than the American states are. And that's saying something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the other place that's worthy of a mention, and not in a good way, is there is an alternative approach to the Apple and Google approach that it works reliably, and that's to use something you've cobbled together yourself. Mm-hmm. And the Australians seem hell-bent on that second approach. And I'm shocked that they've actually managed to get it working on iOS between 27 and 40% of the time. I think that's a <laughs> stunning achievement. It actually is, <laughs> when you think about it technologically, <laughs> to yeah. a certain degree, especially on iOS, right, with how locked down it is. Yeah, so they, they have it working depending on your iPhone model. So basically the newer models with more RAM tend not to be as quick to knock apps out of the foreground. So when the mm. newer models are getting up to low 40s percent of the time that it works when the app is not active on the screen unlocked, and on older iPhones, they're 27% is the best they can achieve. And why are they continuing to swim upstream like this? This is always going to fail. Anyway, the mind boggles, yeah, but that's, that's well, what like they I are. said, we've been seeing states do that here where they want to build their own thing. And I, I don't get it because you've got massive tech tech companies, the two biggest, mm. <laughs> you know, who are offering the resources for free, basically, you know, just tap into it. And yeah, it's baffling. And actually, the, there's a third big tech company in play in the States. We talked about the story last month or the month before, but Microsoft had gotten together with one of your major medical institutions to provide backends for any state that wants to run an app. Because yeah. you need a back end to hand out the anonymous tokens to do the notifications. And so that's being centrally provided by Microsoft's cloud. So, I mean, it's all there. Just use it. And the fact that all of these companies that are facilitating this are American companies, it's weird. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, the other thing, of course, that continues to happen uh, with COVID around the world is stores opening and closing. It's 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 an interesting game of whack-a-mole. So on the one hand, in China, we have today at Apple sessions restarting, which that, that just seems like such an alien concept in, in Europe or America. Um, then you have a store closing abruptly in the US because there's a, a speculation of an employee having COVID-19. Uh, Madrid, we have reclosings, um, and 
some American stores reopening. So it's all it's a really, really mixed bag. Open, close, open, close. It really is just down to your local... You could almost use Apple stores as a measure of the severity of the epidemic in different parts of the world. I, I think someone actually did a video correlating the two and they match up extremely accurately. It would make sense. Yeah, not really surprising. I'm sure Apple are well, they're on know, the ball. well aware of... Well, yeah, they're on the ball of you know where, where COVID is going up and where it is going down. And um, they, they're and, protecting their staff and being good yeah. citizens. Exactly. Um, Apple payment. Uh, the, the last COVID story then is Apple Card payment deferral has been extended again. But there's a, a sting in the tail here that I hadn't realized, and I'm not sure other people had, but there's actually a total limit of six months on this program because it's actually mm-hmm. some sort of government program that all this is part of. And so maybe some people may want to choose to keep their final deferment for a later date if they want to have it for Christmas or something because we're now on the sixth one if you take them all. So that's interesting. Yeah. The deferments always worry me too because if you're in a position where you need to be deferring, then you probably, you know, unfortunately, and a lot of people are now because of the whole situation, but it's just such a slippery slope because that bill still comes due at some point, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And who's to say you're going to have the funds six months from now or, you know, even so it's, it's rough. Yeah. I don't know how you handle that. So it always worries me. It's like, it's great that they're doing that for the people who might need it, but I have a feeling a lot of people don't just do it just for, you know, they're taking the full six months and then, and then what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, other follow-ups then, um, dark skies, Apple bought them. They had promised to kill the Android app. It's dead. Um, I've had a few friends actually who who are Android users get very cranky because I put them all onto dark skies because it rocks. And so they it's a great all, app, yeah. It's superb app. They all took my advice, and now they're all left high and dry. So I was able to give them some new advice. There's a, a new service that does pretty much the same thing called Climacell, and they're cross-platform, iOS, Android, etc. And their back end is now powering a lot of third-party apps, actually. So if if you've been left high actually, and dry, yeah. Climacell. On, on iOS, is the I'm assuming the APIs are still available, because I think I get access to Dark Sky through Carrot, which is my favorite weather app, but I and I think I have I subscribe because I think that gives you access to the other. I think normally they use a different service, but I'm not 100 percent sure right, Adam, because um, uh, some of my apps have switched to Climacell when I looked into the settings. Yeah, I haven't I haven't checked. It'd be interesting to know if Apple is still making the APIs available to third parties, and maybe not. Yeah, I didn't. Didn't Apple say that they would allow the APIs to be used for something like six months to give developers time to move to a different back end? I'm sure I remember that vaguely from earlier in the... It was definitely a transition phase and Android dying and the API access dying. I don't think they were the same time. No. So it, it could be that iOS developers still have a short amount of time to switch but i think the apis are going to get pulled eventually i would imagine when ios 14 comes out that yeah. would probably be likely the app does say still powered by uh dark sky 
cool. and Climacell, so maybe they're getting ready to transition if need be. Excellent. Um, we last week, last month, we talked about Apple's stock split that has happened. Um, the hope was that making the stock cheaper to buy would drive up sales of the stock. Well, that worked pretty well. Uh, it, the stock split happened, and Apple stock went right up to a whopping two point two trillion dollars of market market capitalization. Um, last month, there was a big story that Apple became the first ever privately traded company to reach two trillion. Uh, so 2.2 is another impressive boost. And that was going to be an entirely good news story, bragging about the fact that Apple's value surpassed the entire FTSE 100, which is sort of the Dow Jones of London. Um, but then there was a disastrously bad day of trading on the 3rd of September, and Apple lost like 8% of its value, but it did manage to stay above the $2 trillion threshold. So they managed to keep their bragging rights, even if... It was a bad day, and it wasn't only a bad day for Apple, it was also a bad day for tech stocks in general, but Apple did take the biggest hit. And no one knows why, because nothing actually happened on that day. But I think, not that I follow stock trading in any shape or form, but it would not surprise me if you bought in just just after the stock split, And it rocketed up to 2.2 trillion. A lot of people who are, you know, short termists are going to cash out at that point and take their profit. Yes, or uh, profit taking, I believe, is the phrase. And that is the only theory I've seen that makes any sort of sense because no, there was no news. Like no, nothing happened. And no, yet... Nothing particular, but the stock market is a bit like that, isn't it? And also, yes. if people start selling Apple, people start, you know, that's how it goes. People start. Oh, you know, tech's going down, right? Sell Google, sell Amazon, sell everything, you know. Yes, yes. It's, there's a herd mentality for sure. I hope Plus, Linda's not shouting um, into her iPod now. I hope we haven't gotten everything wrong, but I, I think I think we're on <laughs> safe ground. <laughs> Linda Goucher, our wonderful um, expert on all things financial. Um, Linda was a listener for years and would always send me a note when I messed up. Actually, Ken Ray got notes uh, from Linda too, so I feel quite quite honoured. Uh, but Linda's now a regular guest when Apple do earnings calls, which stops me embarrassing myself because I just say, Linda, over to you. And then she gives it to me <laughs> correctly. It's great. Give, yeah, give us, the, give us a good gin. Indeed. Um, the other story that's lingering for years really and it's probably going to linger for some time is the trade war between the US and China but it's taken an an interesting turn in an interesting new battlefront if you'll excuse the uh, stretched analogy social media of all places is the new front in the US-China trade war and Apple could end up being an unexpected victim from all of this Um, and it all comes down to WeChat which is vital to any sort of smartphone in China. And at one point, President Trump signed an executive order banning American companies from doing transactions with the Chinese owners of TikTok or WeChat. Um, And needless to say, WeChat filed a lawsuit against the Trump administration. Um, A whole bunch of big tech companies are also lobbying strongly against the ban. Um, 95% of Chinese iPhone users when polled said that if WeChat went away, they would get rid of their iPhone. The Chinese foreign minister said, quote, no reason to keep iPhones if WeChat is banned. Um, Donald Trump's response was wonderful. Whatever. 
Um, and then the last bit of news I found on this was that um, members of the administration were leaking to the press that uh, were thinking of not going down that road after all. So a whole lot of bluster, but it probably won't happen, would appear to be where we stand. And pretty much all the analysts agree that if there were to be a ban, it's one thing if Apple were to be forced to remove WeChat from the US App Store. That would be a little bit irksome, but not tragic. But if no, Apple were to be forced to remove WeChat from the Chinese App Store, that would be that would be a massive issue for the company. That would be a huge hit in the next earnings that call would, and would set the company be, back. Yeah. That would be really because, as I understand it, WeChat is not only um, ubiquitous in China for um, you know texting and, and messaging, but they use it a lot for transactions, don't they? You can yes. it, it sort of contains its own kind of PayPal element. You can yeah, I mean, give it's people a platform. money and whatnot. It, it, yes, it's a. <sighs> It's infrastructure for their entire society to a large extent. It would be a colossal loss. It would basically end iOS in China. Their last earnings call um, revenue from China was uh, $9.3 billion, mm. And it's their third largest market by revenue, I think, behind US and probably Europe. Yeah, which makes sense when you think about population. Yeah, not really surprising. Yeah, so, yeah, so if you lose a third of your potential, I mean, they wouldn't yeah. lose all of it, right? Because they, they're not losing all their business in China. But I would imagine iPhone is a big chunk of that revenue business, probably the large. And we know it's the largest chunk, usually by about 50, 60 percent in most markets. I don't know if China's different. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you if you lose, you know, 60 percent of your third largest uh, revenue market or 70 percent, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. So this is definitely one to watch. Um, and if you you know, asked me a month ago, what's going to be the big story in the trade war? I would have been, ooh, the iPhone 12 or something where I'd be focusing my worries. WeChat and TikTok, they weren't on my list of things I thought I should worry about. But hey, you know. They weren't really on the apocalypse bingo card, were they? No, but here we go. It's 2020. Gotta love it. Jumping on to legal latest, um... Apple are going to be kicking themselves. Um, they finally sort of won by default against Vernet X uh, over some basically $454 million that they lost in a, in a patent suit. They got the patents invalidated. Having lost their appeal, they then managed to get the patents invalidated. Uh, so they wanted their money back, and the judge was like, yeah, you were way too slow about that. You're not getting it. That, that's that got to hurt. Um. Apple have also settled a Powerbeats 2 lawsuit for nearly $10 million over some defects in the US. So if you live in the US and you have Powerbeats 2, you might be owed like five cents or something by the time these class actions go through. <laughs> I think I think I saw an estimate that it might be $3. Ooh. Um, ooh, you know. Well worth the effort. Stop it doesn't come press. in the form of store credit. That's <laughs> what we often throw on you. That's how these things often go, all right. Um, They're just sending you some bills in the post. Well, I mean, it was more expensive to send you the check and process it nearly. Than... <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've, I've received some of those settlement checks because if you don't implicitly opt out of these class actions, you're, you're opted in, and I oh. often just don't bother to opt out. Um, yeah, I've gotten a, a fair few, you know, $5 
even I think one time a fifteen dollar check. Oh wow! Don't spend it all in the one store, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Might get some. Uh, you might get some uh, rubber tips for your iPod. Yeah, it's for like an iPhone four defect or something. It probably the. Yeah. The antenna gate thing, or when was that? Was that we all got our free bumpers? Even us, even us foreigners got free bumpers out of that. (laughs) Quite like those bumpers, actually, they were quite nice. And I'm generally not a case person, but anyway. Um, Apple are also ordered to pay 506 million over the use of LTE patents. Um, I always get a bit worried when mission critical technologies are patented like that, but anyway, there we go. Uh, And then, really, the last story in here is the big story. Um, Apple have lost their uh, or rather Apple's employees have won in their appeal against a lower court ruling that sided with Apple so Apple make people have their bags searched on the way out of work if you work in an Apple store and Apple were saying no 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 that's not work time you're here we're ordering you to waste your time being searched by us for our benefit but that's not work we're not paying you and the employees are like oh that's so not fair and under California law that's so illegal and the judge went yep that is correct so apple would appear to owe a whole bunch of back pay the fact that apple the fact that apple even fought this sits so badly with their general attempts to look like good members of society but hey all's well that ends well i guess yeah i i yeah the problem with these stories, and this is one of the reasons why I don't cover a lot of legal stuff on my show, is there's always probably some other deep-rooted uh, thing that, you know, where they have to follow through on these things. You know, it's sort of like um, trademark law, right? If you don't defend mm-hmm. your stuff, like that happened. Well, I, maybe you guys already talked about it, but, you know, they had the whole pair logo thing. Yeah, I decided not on. to bother with that story because we've been down that road so many times in the years. Yeah, that but so that's a great example of like there's probably legal things deep, deep in the in the bowels of whatever laws that, you know, require them to, to you know, I, I, I can't imagine this comes across Tim Cook's desk and he's like, yeah, we have to we have to fight that. But maybe. Yeah, I would I hope know, not. It just, it, it, it's, it's a bum note in, in the symphony. It just it feels off. Right. Yep, that's true. Apple. I always thought that sounded horrible. You know, really, you can't pay people for the ten minutes they have to queue up to leave work. It's just seemed. And apparently, it was often longer because people's shifts would end at the same time. So this way, Apple are now incentivized to provide enough security staff to search efficiently. Because mm. it's now on their dime. So all good. Apple acquisitions. Apple have reportedly picked up an Israeli uh, augmented reality company called, or an augmented reality and camera company called Camerai. Uh, and they've also apparently picked up a VR startup called Spaces. So it's quite clear this whole VR AR thing is still very much in Apple's mind. And some sort of head mounted gadget is probably in Apple's future. Apple original content updates. Don't want to dwell on these because, oh, so not my area of expertise, but it's a big part of Apple's revenue these days, so I guess we kind of have to talk about it. Um, One of the bigger stories is that Apple have renamed their Beats 1 radio station to become Apple Music 1, and they've added two more stations, including a country music station. Um, So, okay. In terms of Apple TV Plus deals then... um, 
it would appear that Apple really likes the concept of a first-look deal. They signed a first-look deal with Leonardo DiCaprio's production company, with Robert Downey Jr.'s production company, and with Martin Scorsese's production company. That's some big hitters. They've also, also, Idris Alba. Oh, is that where his name is? Well, he, it wasn't a first look with him. It was a spy romance film called... No, they, they also did sign a first look with him as well. well that might have been Fairly last certain. month. Yeah, it might have been last month. Yeah. They've also... Oh, picked, yeah. I'm probably going back too far. Yeah. They also picked up an animated Harriet the Spy TV show. Um, they're also doing a competition series for the first time, My Kind of Country, and it's country music as opposed to nations fighting each other. Um, yeah. How much do you think that ties in with their new country music Beats One radio station? That's a really good point, actually. Yeah, that, those Apple, stories. Apple, what it is? What's it called now? It's not Beats One. Apple One. Apple, Apple One. yeah, Apple One. I think. Um, and I don't know what they're calling the country station. Maybe it's Apple Country or something. It, I'll be honest; it didn't enti- excite me much. Um, which is a Garth Brooks reference. So there you go. I do know more yeah, country than I pretend. The timing of those two things was very interesting. You know, they they have that. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of tie-in and a lot of cross-promotion. Um, yeah, and that, that show in that station. As I understand it, country is a kind of big thing in a big chunk of your country. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah not my thing, but other members of my family love it. Um, so. As I say, even I can tolerate a bit of Garth Brooks. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I can't remember the film now, as they say. Uh, is, it the, is it the Blues Brothers? We have all kinds of music here. We have country and Western. Yes, I was thinking of that exact same <laughs> quote, actually. Yeah, that's great. Um, what else have we got? There's a new Apple series, there's a new documentary that's charting artists' AOR collaboration with Apple inside their stores, which is kind of an interesting thing. There's Kira Knightley is going to star in The Essex Serpent for Apple TV+. Plus. Three rather impressive looking nature documentaries are on their way for fall 2020, or autumn as we'd call it. Um, the one that has my eye ca- caught is, because I'm a huge David Attenborough fan, there was... David Attenborough did a series years ago, decades ago probably, called The Secret Life of Plants, uh, where they did a bunch of stuff with nighttime photography. But it was all sort of black and white. Whereas now they've apparently managed to get a technology to do nighttime photography in true colour. So we get to see what nature does at night without that weird infrared look. So I'm very, very intrigued by how that's going to turn out. So I guess I have to wait a few more months for that. But definitely going to watch that. Then Mariah Carey's Magical Christmas Special will premiere on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, and oh, really? Yeah, that was, that was a big deal. That broke about two days ago. And then the last uh, announcement that broke, I think, broke yesterday. Apple TV Plus have picked up Five Days at Memorial, a show about Hurricane Katrina. So it's obviously Memorial Hospital. Um, so that's that's all big stuff for the future. In terms of big stuff for the present... Ted Lasso and Boy State have arrived on Apple TV+. Plus, um, and in fact, uh, Ted Lasso has been renewed uh, for season two. And uh, Boy State uh, has been accompanied by a sort of a documentary following up with the kids and how their, their attitudes and stuff have changed um, since the recording of the, um, the, the documentary. Um, so I've watched the documentary, really enjoyed it, and so now I'm going to watch that related content, um, hopefully this evening. Have you watched Ted Lasso? I haven't, no. because it's... I keep hearing that it's great. It just doesn't sound like my cup of tea. 
I didn't think it was my cup of tea either. And then I did a show with Ken Ray and he said it was great. And I watched it and immediately binged the first four episodes that were out and like now wait for Fridays to come to watch the next episode. Huh. It's really, it's really good and entertaining. And I think the best thing I can say for it is it is the perfect thing for the time we're in because it's very, it has a very endearing and heartwarming element and it's just fun and it's not, you know, it's just enjoyable. It's just a good escape. And you, you know, you feel good going away from that, those episodes. And a lot of the content that we have these days, that's not the focus. You know, you, okay. you don't, don't get that. So I would encourage people to give it a try. I don't know if you would have a, a different perspective. Obviously it's, you know, American football coach goes over to the, the premises without giving away too much. American football coach goes over to Europe and, coaches football european football yeah i'm i'm not a sports ball person but yeah well, it's not about the sport it's not about the sports though that's the thing it's it's really about the relationships of the people and i love character driven stuff and it's definitely character driven okay so, okay I'll, I'll give it a go i'll give it a go see what see you what might I'll be surprised you might be surprised yeah I, I haven't watched it yet but everybody keeps telling me how good it is and um I think I'm going to give it a go. Uh, if it's a bit like uh, was it Raven Raven Quest or whatever it was, then it will that will in you know. Yeah, that's another great example of a show that was de definitely I, you know I wouldn't didn't think I was going to get into that one too. You know, show about a, the video game industry and has actually tie-ins with video game companies, like being produced by video game companies, and. Um, I didn't think I was going to like it, but again, yeah, a I love character-driven stuff, you know, and. Uh, Firefly was a great example of that too, right? It's mm. it's a space thing, sci-fi thing, but really the driving force behind it is the relationship between the characters. That's what you get into. So interesting. Yeah, uh, you know, something with a bit of heart sounds good, actually. So yeah, I'll I'll take your it's, recommendation. It's nice. It's nice in this day and age where you know a lot of what we get is the violence and the adult content and and all that sort of stuff. And and this there's you know touches of that but like i can watch this with my older kids just fine and and i appreciate that cool um the official tra an official trailer has landed for an apple tv plus series called tehran which is arriving on september 25th i don't think that's a feel-good one just just no there. no <laughs> But it, I think that's the one that they're doing a couple things with an Israeli. Is it an Israeli production company? Um, I believe and so. I think that's one of those. And I think it might even be foreign language with subtitles, if I'm not mistaken. Oh. Which they haven't done yet. Well, that's... I mean, it's brave of them. <laughs> but yeah. Not, not something that catches my eye. Not, not to the topic in general. Isn't I'm it? not big on subtitle things either, but I think I think it's important, right? And it, um, and that's been a complaint levied against sort of Apple's efforts initially is that they're they haven't been producing a lot of um foreign foreign content, um, mm. and I think they're trying to change that a little bit. Yeah, well, best of luck with it. Different markets. I mean, they're they're a global company, and Apple TV Plus is available in every country, as far as I know, where they sell devices. So, it makes sense that they should branch out and have content for 
different uh, nationalities and different regions and stuff that speaks to more than just, you know, certain markets. Yeah. And the, the thing is, with, with the world being such a cosmopolitan place, it's not only geographically within the Middle East that Middle Eastern content is appealing. There are people of Middle Eastern origin living all over planet Earth. Absolutely. So. Well, and I, and, I, and again, I don't know that it's just Middle Eastern content. It just happens to be, I think, and I, I, I could be wrong, but I think that's what I remember reading was that it was going to be, it's definitely coming from an Israeli production company that they've they've partnered with. And I think they're doing two different series and this is the first one. And the same concept applies, right? If you do Hispanic content, that, that is relevant to people all over the world. So it's not, not just people living in you know, South America. Um. Finally, On the Rocks is a movie that will hit theaters before premiering on Apple TV Plus, and I have to imagine that has something to do with meeting the rules for something called the Oscars. <laughs> yeah. Um, a strange bit of good news: a bunch of Apple TV Plus productions are actually resuming from the COVID halt. Um. So, For All Mankind, Series 2 has resumed. Thank goodness I am on tenterhooks waiting for that. Um, and Invasion has also resumed filming. So, that's they're both good to hear. Then, in very much related news to Apple original content, we have American Airlines is adding free in-flight Apple TV Plus streaming, which is kind of a cool feature. A good way to get some publicity. Yeah, maybe not so much. I don't know how many people are flying these days, but sure. Well, look, it's, yeah, fair point. Fair point. Um, on the one hand, Apple TV, the Apple TV app is rolling out to more LG TVs from 2018, uh, which has customers happy that had been promised. And then in the same breath, LG went, oh, yeah, by the way, I know we promised you Apple TV, AirPlay 2 and HomeKit. Yeah, you can have one of those three, but not the other two. And customers are fairly miffed, would be a, a, a generous description of what they're getting on their customer support forums at the moment. Not happy bunnies. Uh, meanwhile, Apple is offering CBS All Access and Showtime uh, bundle for Apple TV Plus subscribers, which I think is useful if you're in the US and you want both of those cheap and in your Apple TV Plus. Uh mm -hmm. In the UK then, uh, EE, which is one of the major phone, um, cell phone companies, not com uh, cell, uh, cell phone providers, um, are providers, offering yeah. Apple Music, Apple TV Plus and Apple Arcade as a full works bundle to their customers, which is interesting. And in Canada, or Canada as they prefer to have it called, Rogers is offering six months free Apple Music with select infinite plans, which I'm guessing are not actually infinite. <laughs> Whew. okay so that's all that stuff out of the way we have four main stories for the month um we have we're going to start by talking about some big news for phil schiller then we're going to move on to a little bit of tlc for the imac line then we're going to switch tack quite a bit and talk about microsoft releasing interesting hardware which is definitely not what I thought I'd be talking about. And then we will address the large pachyderm hiding in the corner of the room. I'm going to expand it out beyond just Apple and Epic and just say that Apple have an App Store problem, and it's really come to a head in August of 2020. So we'll keep that one for last so it doesn't dominate the entire show. 
Um, so let's get stuck into the first of the main stories. Phil Schiller, very, very long time Apple executive. For as long as I can remember talking about Apple stuff, he has been the senior vice president for worldwide marketing, um, which basically means that particularly once Steve Jobs became ill, we started to see an awful lot of Phil Schiller in keynotes introducing products to us. He's also a mad photographer guy, so he particularly liked doing camera demos. Well, he is moving on to an Apple Fellow, which is a sort of a title they give bigwigs who want to be less involved. Uh, but he is retaining direct control over the App Store and Apple events. So that's stepping back, but not very far, given the fact that we're about to spend a big chunk of the show talking about said <laughs> App Store. Um, but for the last year or two, Phil Schiller's had a sidekick, very noticeably, and that has been Greg Joswiak, or Jaws. Well, very cleverly, the reason Jaws has been Schiller's sidekick for the last while is because they were getting him ready to become Schiller's replacement. Greg Joswiak is now Senior Vice President for Worldwide Marketing. So uh, congrats to Jaws, I guess. Um, what do, how, how freaked out are people by this? I don't think at all. I mean, you kind of saw this coming if you watched the last keynote, right? Where was not we usually see Phil? Yeah, we didn't really see much of Phil, if at all. I don't even remember. I think he had to have been in there, but um, yeah. I mean, it's normal transition stuff. I mean, if we can get through Johnny, we can get through mm -hmm. Phil. Not not to disparage Phil at all because he does has done amazing things at Apple with all his work, but you know. I think I think between Steve and then Johnny and, you know, I think we've been through enough of these transitions to know a Apple can make this work and they have talented people and a lot of depth. And yeah, I, I don't think they're skipping a beat, to be honest. Um, and it sounded like it was Phil's choice to just, you know, have more family time and sort of step back and not. I mean, I, I have to imagine how uh, stressful and like I, 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 can't I guess I can't forever, imagine. Right? Yeah, well, I can't imagine like, you know, you can only take so many years of that uh, unless you're a certain type of person. You know, uh, I think Tim Cook has lasting power. But I mean, yeah, you're just it, it. You have to get to a point where it's just like, OK, I've done everything I need to do. I'm rich enough that I can, you know, easily step back from all this. And, and you know, he's still there. So, yeah, I don't think there's anything to, to worry about. Like Apple marketing's not going to fall apart because Phil is spending more time with his family and less time at Apple. Yeah. And the fact that Jaws was, um, he was a guest on Daring Fireball's talk show special and he came across every bit as well as Phil. Um, I, I have every faith that he will be up to the task and more. So I, yeah, I'm not panicked either. Are, are you panicked, Simon? No, not at all. Not no. at all. I mean, Apple fellow seems to be really a kind of, yeah, as you start to step away, and uh, you know, it's what as you kind of glide towards your retirement, you, you know, <laughs> if you're high enough up the ladder, you get handed an Apple Fellowship, you know, to go with your gold clock. You know? Yeah, it sort of um, means you get to do the stuff you want, and you get to be freed from the actual chore, the, 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 right, the, exactly. the slog. So it seems like yeah. actually quite a nice gig if you can get yourself made a fellow. Yeah, you gotta you get to kind of pick your projects, right? You gotta get you get to pick your passion uh, passion items. Yeah, round those out. You know, wrap it all up in a neat little bow, and then sod off. 
seems like a, a, yeah. seems like a good deal to me. <laughs> Congratulations, Phil. It's a bit like being made head of the secret special project or whatever, isn't it? That you know they yeah. sometimes hand out to people. Um, well, that uh, I think secret head of secret project comes with an awful lot more stress than becoming a fellow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, often you get the impression when they make somebody head of special projects, that often seems to mean go off and work on whatever it is that takes your fancy and hand all the other bits off to, you know. Yeah, because what this teams. isn't is the other euphemism Apple use: special advisor to the CEO. That's the title they give someone who they've booted out unceremoniously. Yeah, that's gardening leave. That's gardening leave, exactly. Um, the, 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 uh, what the, why am I so bad with names? Apple Maps guy. Scott Forstall. Um, that's Scott, Scott Forstall, yeah. He, he, he's not a fellow. He is absolutely no, not he, a fellow. He was a special advisor to Tim Cook, and we were told that, no, he's not leaving. He's, he's just becoming a special advisor. No, he was basically <laughs> fired. This is not that. No, this is most definitely not that. I, I believe Waz was the first one, right? Yeah. They kind of didn't let Waz leave. They're like, okay, Waz, we know you want to go off. You're going to, you're still here <laughs> whenever you want. Like, and, and Guy I, Kawasaki, I, I, I believe, also had his title. I think you're right, too. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think, yeah, because Guy Kawasaki was the first brand ambassador or something they made him. Evangelist, um, wasn't it? Didn't he get. Evangelist. That's it. Product Evangelist, I think, mm. was his title. Um, yeah. I, I, isn't was actually still on the payroll? Doesn't he get paid like ten dollars a year or something? Stupid. Something like that. Yeah. Like I also hope he's still a shareholder. <laughs> I, don't I, I would imagine he's not. I suspect he is, but um, yeah, I believe he's on the payroll, but he gets some, you know, peppercorn amount of money paid to him. Yeah, he gets to keep being Apple employee number three or whatever he was. <laughs> yeah. Well, moving us on then to our second big story, Apple have given the iMac a little bit of TLC. Um, and I I use the word little. Um, it's a noteworthy update to the innards, um, particularly of the 27-inch regular iMac, but no change in industrial design. Um, and really, you know, we're getting the, the latest 10-gen processors from Intel, some nice speed boosts that are showing up in the uh, benchmarks. Um, the option for the nanotexture anti-reflective display and uh, doubling of um, baseline storage, more SSDs. But, you know, I, I think we're probably not getting a big change in the uh, sort of the, a big redesign until they go uh, Apple Silicon would be no, my I, guess. I I'm guessing they're holding back a new, well, I won't say form factor, but a, a redesigned iMac to be launched with a, you know, when it comes with a big push for the Apple Silicon machine. I think actually it will be a whole new form factor. I think when the iMac next gets its TLC, it's going to be yeah. a big change to, to sort of to, to stress the advantages of Apple Silicon. I think the thing will be indistinguishable from a display. I mean, at the moment, yeah. the iMac is like a chunky display. I think it'll just be a display. Yeah. yeah. How good a job did they do with this one, though, in terms of they announce Apple Silicon, so they so they know that people are going to want to probably wait at this point. 
but they have this iMac waiting in the wings and then they just blow it out of the water. Like it is so, it's such a great advancement that it makes you almost angry. <laughs> I like, I would really want to buy one of these, but it's got an Intel in it. And I know that well, I want the I, next computer I, I want is Apple. But so, I have um, a, if you were a corporation, I think there's an awful, awful lot of companies want to get one last Intel machine to do them for a couple of years to allow the transition to do its thing. Point. Yeah, that was exactly that was exactly my thing. Um, originally, um, when I had Kelly on uh, on my show, and we were all kind of you know trying to put forward which one we thought might you know be the first Apple Silicon machine, and we were doing the pros and cons of each one. And I said, I thought it might be the iMac might go Apple Silicon first because that would be a push into small to medium enterprises because it's a very popular machine mm. in that segment. But the counterpoint to that was exactly what you've just said, Bart. Small to medium enterprise customers or corporate customers are very conservative they're going to want to buy a machine that they can say, this is going to be supported for five years. It's a big upgrade to what we've got. We can, by the time this machine needs replacing, that whole transition will be history. Every, you know, the, the, the yeah, thing the will have all settled down. Oh, you know, the, so... uh, all, the, all the apps will have transitioned, all the bugs should have been ironed out, and the, the whole thing will have settled down to, quote, right. unquote, being the norm. Um, so I could see this being a big seller into the corporate, you know, or business market. So, so that said, let me ask you guys this then is there, that's interesting now. Cause I, I figured this Mac was going to be the last Intel one that we saw. Hmm. Do we think with that market and with that same logic that there should be one more push for one more Mac mini update? That's an interesting question. Like, yeah, that the Mac, the Mac Mini is such a strange machine. Is it a big enough market slice for them to care? Yeah, <laughs> my company bought a, a bunch of them for um, our developer machines because we were using uh, iMacs. And you know, I sat down with the, the IT guy. Even came to me and he said, "What do you think about this Mac Mini?" He's because we've got tons of displays and keyboards and all this other stuff, and we really don't need iMacs. And this looks like a better deal for us. And so they went that route because they could then get more storage, more RAM. They could kind of configure yeah. them a little bit higher, uh, coming in at the same price, but then just reuse all the monitors and all the other equipment that they already had. So they were able to get better machines, mm. um, and uh, you know they went they went Mac Minis, and and the developers that were getting Mac Minis were much were very happy with them. And it's been a better deal too since we've now gone fully remote because we have to use our own machines for security reasons. Mm. They're all locked down, yeah. um, so they made us take all our machines home. I I got stuck with my twenty one and a half inch iMac, and it's pain because I've got to swap it out. Um, I think they're going to eventually get us notebooks now that we're remote, but. You know, it was much easier for the the Mac Mini guys. So I don't know. I, I would imagine Mac Mini is a, a popular one in in that small the small to medium enterprise market as well. Yeah, and it was also my first iMac. Or sorry, my first Mac it was was the very very first generation Mac Mini. You know, bring your own keyboard display and mouse. And I was exactly that PC user who was transitioning. And it, I, I have a very soft spot for that machine, even though I am now for my last one, two, three. I think my last four Macs have been 
either 24 or 27 inch IMAX, to be honest. So the fact that the 27 inch IMAX got some major TLC makes me very happy. Um, not that I'm in the market just now, but if I was, I'd quite like this machine. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I looked at that thing and went, oh, I ended up with the 16 inch MacBook Pro only because at the time, and, and this was probably because they were prepping this iMac, iMacs were so back ordered because um, I really don't need a notebook much anymore because I don't go anywhere with my machine. And if I do, I'm taking my iPad Pro. So it was sort of like I was going to go desktop this time around, but it was going to be a wait until I want to say uh, August, which is probably why. Ah, <laughs> when I went to order it, I figured it's like, we don't have them till you won't get it till August. And it's like, well, I need a machine sooner. This was back in probably June. Wow. So and up going 16 inch. But yeah, had these been available, I I would have jumped right on it. Yeah. Uh, the 21 inch did get some TLC, but not nearly as much as the 27. And the pro version of the iMac also got a, a little bit of a bump, but nothing as dramatic as the big updates of the 27 inch. It, it, it's, it's something then. I'm going to throw this one in. Who thinks that the iMac Pro may well now be left to wither on the Vime because if you look at how far you can spec up the new 27-inch, you are mm-hmm. pushing well into um, a basic Mac Pro tower territory. I think if you spec it all the way up, it comes out at about nine grand. Um, I don't know about that. And that's well into Mac Pro territory. I don't know about that. Um, I mean, there's always been an overlap between the high end of the non-pro and the low end of the pro. Mm-hmm. I, I would I don't know um, there's something about those it, black models that I think I wouldn't be surprised if they last and I, actually I'll tell you what I wouldn't be surprised if they last and if they're the last Intel machines yeah well and you can also say it's it's withered for now but how old is that at iMac Pro at this point it's a three year old machine is that correct is it that old? Mm, I, I yeah, don't think so. Well, it depends on what you count as. Like, I mean, I'm sure it's had its innards tweaked a few times since, but its industrial design is that old, yeah. Um, oh, I, I, I just always, <clears throat> I just always felt that the the, the iMac Pro was a stopgap to tide people over until they got the real Mac Pro, you know, the new Mac Pro tower out of the door. Right. I'm not so sure about that because. To me, it's a genuinely pro machine with, you know, very, very pro innards. I mean, exterior, it looks like just a black iMac, but interior, it's a whole different architecture. Oh, yeah, a whole different architecture. It's a workstation. You know, it runs on Xeons and and it's completely different, I know. Exactly. um, So if you want a Xeon with a built-in display and you don't want to spend, like, a, a house payment for a screen from Apple, there's a big market for that pro. Like with those Xeon cores, yes, you can get numbers that look similar from the iMac specking it up, but that's not the same. Having that workstation architecture means the numbers, you can't just judge it by the numbers. There's way more to it than that. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. And so I just checked Mac Tracker because I, I was pretty certain of this. So it has not had an update since 2017. Ouch. So that's, and that was kind of going to be my point is, 
yeah, they're comparing this new 2020 machine to an iMac Pro and it's performing similarly. The iMac Pro still beats out that 2020 machine in a few areas, as far as I know, for the reasons, you know, that Bart, I think you're you're alluding to. Yeah. Um, so the point is, is like just like the Mac Pro that was, a you know, a 2013 in was still besting a lot of the newer machines. You still have a really high performer. Are they going to be selling a lot of iMac pros right now you know would you buy a 27 there's very few people i think they're going to want to buy a 2017 imac pro today with the new 2020 imac but there are some right Mm -hmm. because again of certain architecture things um so they'll sell a few but it it'll have an update the question will be again is it going to have and i doubt it'll have an intel update i think next time we see an update for it and it could be several years down the road it's going to be a apple silicon update that's interesting because my prediction is the last machines to get a big Intel boost will be the Pros. Yeah. I think the Pro, that's what I'm saying. But at, at the moment, the kind of you can get a low end um, Pro tower with Xeon, what is it, eight cores it starts with? Right, but you um, don't get a 5K screen. And being the no. happy viewer of a 5K screen, that's a big deal. Yes, it is, but um, I'm I'm just not sure that that machine, you know, that that if the iMac now overlaps that and the bottom end of the Pro Tower overlaps it, is it not being squeezed from both sides into oh, only, semi-irrelevance? Oh, only until it gets its innards bumped to the latest Xeons and then it will walk all over the the, the new iMacs that came out this week. That, that, is, and, that is a possibility. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and the update to the iMac Pro was the bump. Uh, the base model is now the 10-core model, so they, they basically shifted everything down. So you mm. do get the two extra cores for the same price that you were getting the 8-core for. And for someone who needs a pro machine, it's all about those cores. It's about doing things in parallel. Oh, yeah. It's about rendering. It's about all that kind of stuff. And if you're buying one and you don't need that kind of oomph, you're throwing away money. Stop it. <laughs> it's bragging rights. Yeah, I just like black. Like, okay. That's just, flexing. That's just flexing. flexing really. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to move us on to Microsoft's hardware announcement. So th- this really intrigued me. Um, I was quite ready to scoff at this device um, until I took the time to actually watch the product announcement video and I have found myself grudgingly going, darn Microsoft, you've you've come up with something interesting here. So what am I talking about? I am talking about the Microsoft Surface Duo, which is a different take on the concept of a foldable phony tablety thing. So rather than trying to make the screen fold... Microsoft went with the approach of making the device fold and fully embracing the concept of two screens. So not one foldable screen, two distinct screens on a foldable device. And at the heart of this device is an extremely well-engineered hinge that allows it to... So basically, its closed position is the two screens fully planked together and you have a device that is compact and thin, surprisingly thin, and really quite elegant and fits in the pocket and seems like a very manageable physical device. You can flip it around so that the two screens are on the outside, at which point it behaves 
like a phone. One of the screens doesn't do anything. Um, and the other screen is your phone screen. And it's about the size of a chunky phone, but not too dramatic. And it works fine. But you can also fold it in such a way that you have sort of a, an old Nokia communicator style where you have um, basically one screen up and one screen horizontal. So you basically can have your keyboard on the lower screen and everything at your disposal on the upper screen. Or you can sort of put it in a a, 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 um, port, a um, landscape postcard sort of a thing where you can just pop it on a desk and watch it play video or whatever. Or you can have it like a book and it will do very sensible things as appropriate to all of these arrangements. So it runs Android um, and they have basically added extra APIs and they've updated their own apps to use those extra APIs. So it will do extremely clever things. Like you can add to your home screen a pair of side-by-side apps. So you click one icon and you will always get Twitter on the left and something else on the right or whatever. Uh, If you're inside an app that is aware of the two screens, it can do very clever things when you like open something in a new tab or open an email that will use the second screen. Basically, I watched the demo and I was just amazed at the attention to detail and the how well thought out the use of those two screens is. And I found myself captivated by the concept in a way that a foldable just never hooked me as being anything but a gimmick. So maybe I'm nuts, but I think this is a genuinely interesting device. Now, it's underpowered and overpriced. So this is a very much version 1.0 product and I don't want to buy one. But if this is a hint that the future that Microsoft is is looking towards, it looks darn interesting to me. A lot more than the Galaxy Fold ever looked. So am I nuts, guys? Or are you, you, you guys intrigued too? I've not looked that deeply into it, but it is something that um, uh, Mac Jim, who comes on my show quite a lot, has, um, you know, espoused before as, you know, when this whole foldable thing came forward saying, would we not be better off to make a device which consisted of two screens, um, which is exactly what this is. So he's kind of vindicated there. And um, from what I have seen of it, as you say, Bart, they seem to have done a lot of work figuring out how to make it work sensibly. Um, And as you say, it's usual Microsoft V1, underpowered and overpriced. Um, But that's just Microsoft's kind of modus operandi. I mean, (laughs) and you can say the same about the Galaxy Fold, only unlike the Galaxy Fold, I think this hinge will stand the test of time and so will the screens because they're not using bendy screens. No, they're not using bendy screens. They're using proper screens that are cleverly, you know, engineered to not actually join together. But yeah. And with good hardened glass instead of this really fragile thing on yes. the foldables. Indeed. So I, I think it's got potential. I do think it's got potential. Um, whether, you know, whether Microsoft are really too late to the game or whether they can bring something new to the table... Um, only the market will tell, I guess, but it's certainly yeah. interesting. It is. It is interesting. I, I think, I mean, Mark, Microsoft has been thinking about this stuff for decades, though, to be honest, right? I mean, mm-hmm. with they did convertible, you know, computers way, way back in the day. So this is just, a, in a lot of ways, an extension of those concepts. So it's not surprising that they, you know, could pull something like this off. Um 
I don't know. I, the idea of a thing with two screens is always been interesting. I mean, we've, we've heard people talk about Apple exploring those sorts of concepts too, right? A, a MacBook pro that, you know, would work in the, in the orientation you were describing Bart, where, you know, it was basically an iPad virtual keyboard on the bottom and, you know, a regular screen on the top. Um, but, you know, then you get back to, does anybody really want to be typing on glass? And I think we've kind of proved that, yeah, people don't mind yeah. <laughs> you know, at this point. But like, that was always a question, you know, like um, there's always people that want a tactile, but you always have that option too. So I don't know. It, it's interesting to explore. It'll be interesting to see how well it does in the space. Um, I have a feeling it ends up being a very niche kind of thing for certain kinds of applications and users. Uh, is it going to be the new tablet? I don't know. Uh, it doesn't excite me in the, in that realm. Like, I don't think I'd be rushing out to replace my iPad pro with something like this. Yeah. I, I don't know if the iPad pro is quite the target, but to, to be, yeah, the, what is it? Fa- the phablet, the phablet has always struck me as a, if I had to have one device, I'd want to have enough screen real estate. And right. the phablet is kind of the only way to get that now. And I find them to be overly big, bulky and ick. Like, I really, really detest the phablet form factor. But if mm-hmm. I had to have a single portable device, th- this form factor ec- excites me. And what shocked me was the attention to detail. Um, I- I'll yeah. give you one good anecdote to, to really hammer it home. So if you have the, fo- the the two screens so that it's in phone mode, then when you bring up the keyboard, the keyboard is, as we would expect, centered so that you can tap with both thumbs like, like we do on our iPhones every day. Mm-hmm. If you open it so that on the left screen, there's something you type in and on the right screen, there's Twitter or something, the keyboard left aligned so that your left hand can reach everything. If you swap the same app to the other screen, the keyboard right aligns so that your right thumb can type anything. Or if you turn it so that it's in that sort of portrait mode or landscape mode, then you get the stretched full width keyboard again. That's Apple level attention to detail. And I'm just so impressed to see that this device without any sort of leaks or anything up front, they just announced this as a product shipping in a few weeks. And it's this well thought out. Uh, I, I was genuinely impressed. Well, like Adam says, they've been working on this sort of thing for years. I mean, they they demoed that what was the it courier the courier concept, yeah, which never went anywhere. But obviously, they didn't abandon it. They just probably went I, okay. I think, well, this is a concept piece, and now we're going to go back into the labs and develop it more. I think Balmer put the courier in a coma, but Satya Nadella <laughs> seems to have woken it up. Yeah, he's he's done a great job over at Microsoft, and they they've been doing amazing things. I mean, their 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 UX design, and like you have to give credit where credits due. They've been doing a great job in the past few years in the service lineup, and and um, you know, was, was it was the computer they did the sort of fold down, you know, um, into it's the Surface Studio. It's a surface, yeah. This this whole surface concept that they that their R and D team has been playing with has yielded a lot of great um, great results, and I think this is another great example of it. Yeah. It, unfortunately, it doesn't feel like it's really picking up with a lot of people in the market. 
Well, it's not, uh, which is interesting because it almost puts them in the position that Apple was in, in, in to Microsoft in the in the nineties and and two thousands, right? <laughs> so it's like they, they keep trying and, and coming up with really great stuff, um, but it's just not hitting in any really big way in in these spaces. And I think it's because they're they are somewhat playing in the margins, right? It's like what is this product and who does it? who does it appeal to and is there a big enough space for that? And maybe they don't care. Maybe it's like Apple in the nineties and two thousands and they're, they're happy with what percentage that they have and, and that's what they want. Um, and that's cool too. I'm totally on board with that. I think, I think that's a great way to go is to create really innovative, interesting things that you think the world will like. And it doesn't matter how much of the world likes it. It's just that, you know, it resonates with people and you're pushing the, pushing the, ball forward guys i hope you two can talk something interesting to the listeners for about 40 seconds i need to step away from the mic really quickly really sorry (laughs) no no problem i i think the surface adam is making a bigger impression than we sometimes think um Mm -hmm. here on um you know british tv you see microsoft surface tablets a lot um, you know, in, in TV programs, I mean, um, one of the biggest dramas that we have here is casualty, which is unsurprisingly like, you know, ER type of, uh, show. And for a long time, um, they were, you, you would see them using, um, iPads. And then a few years back, they all shifted over to using Microsoft slates, you know, the Microsoft surface product, um, now, I'm sure that's product placement. I have no doubt that the BBC receiver, hefty, you know, backhander for that. But they show up in all sorts of um, shows. Uh, you know, you see business people using them. And um, you see iPads and iPhones a lot as well. But, you know, the Surface, I, I think the Surface has a, it's not as big as the iPad, but it has a very dedicated following. Um, yeah, Absolutely. You see a lot of them with business people, um, the, the, and they're right. actually very capable business portable devices. Well, I, I think particularly, you know, in the corporate market, the the fact that you can have a tablet that is also capable of running effectively full blown Windows apps is very attractive. Uh, their that Surface market. Book is actually a particularly cool device. Um, I got I got to play with it uh, a few times. Because it has a detachable tablet tablet that snaps onto right. a, a laptop chassis, for want of a better description. It's, it's actually yeah. quite a nice device. And they've embraced a, a good, solid metal industrial design that's very robust. Sort of reminds me of the ThinkPads or, or the old MacBooks. You know, yeah. so that, I mean, the, that's a, another example of what I mean by where they're sort of playing in the margins, right? They're playing in this space between a phone and a tablet or a, mm. a tablet and a desktop, right. Yeah. And a desktop and a tablet. <laughs> so like, if you look at that, that service desktop thing, right, that's some sort of combination between a desktop and uh, a tablet. And, and, you know, the book thing is somewhere between a, a traditional notebook and a tablet. And, and this new thing, this duo thing is somewhere between a smartphone and a small tablet. Yeah. So it's just really interesting. You know, they're kind of in those, it feels like those products are in those spaces. And 
I can see it definitely resonating with um, with the business market, which, where they've always been been big. But yeah, I guess if you, it, I don't see them being huge in the consumer space yet. But I think we're getting there, and it's it's cool to see them pushing forward and being at the edge of that because I think that's going to give them a, a lead when some of these technologies maybe do start to find their way uh, more in with consumers. And that's not to say surface, you know, aren't consumers buying surfaces, there's tons. Um, right. But again, I'm talking percentages of, you know, dominance of iPad and Android tablets or phones versus what Microsoft is doing currently. And it's just, it is very interesting. Okay, I'm going to move us on to our final main story, the big one, Apple's App Store problem. So I'm going to start off by just running through what happened in August, and it's a heck of a lot more than just the epic saga. So the first thing that happened is that Microsoft announced its eagerly awaited cloud gaming service xCloud, and they said it's coming to Android on the 15th of September, and they said nothing about iOS. Now, they didn't make a big song and dance, they just said nothing. The tech press went, I can see the lines here, and I can see the essay written between those lines. There's some sort of problem here that Apple is stopping Microsoft. And the tech press called Apple out, and then Microsoft responded publicly and went, yep, there is basically no path to xCloud on iOS because Apple's rules are unworkable. Uh, Facebook launched a gaming app for iOS on which you can't play games because of the App Store rules. Mark Zuckerberg, not a happy bunny, to put it mildly. Um, Facebook also complained that Apple's App Store won't let it facilitate fee-less paid events. So in these COVID times, Facebook has created a service where people can host paid-for events on Facebook and Facebook take no commission. All the money goes to the person running the event, so you can have a yoga class or whatever and get all the money. But on iOS, Apple have to have their 30%. And Facebook, I think, naively assumed Apple would, you know, meet them halfway or whatever and basically waive the fee since Facebook were, were doing it for the good of everyone during the pandemic. But no, Apple stuck to their guns and Facebook were very cranky about it. Um, at that point in time, then, Epic dropped, I don't know if we call it a turd or a hand grenade, but anyway, they dropped something. <laughs> so they, uh, they, Epic knew they were releasing a massive update to their very popular Fortnite game. And they basically engineered a drama around this. So they started the process by releasing an innocent looking update to the previous version of Fortnite for iOS and Android that included a little server check that would phone home every now and then and at an appropriate point in time enable hidden functionality that was not visible to the App Store reviewers. And that hidden functionality introduced their own payment system, which is in flagrant breach of both Google and Apple's rules. Whether or not you agree with the rules is irrelevant. Those are the rules. And Epic absolutely fraudulently submitted their app. Like, this is just deceit, plain and simple. It's not a whoopsie. This is proactive deceit. Now, Apple obviously, sorry, Epic obviously assumed that the obvious result would, I mean, the obvious thing would result and that they would be booted from the app stores. So they had both a massive lawsuit and an ad ready to go. And of course, 
Apple saw what had happened. Epic released the ad based on uh, the, the infamous or the famous 1984 ad from Apple, and they filed their stonking big court case. Uh, that court case was then quickly reassigned to a different judge who is already overseeing two smaller antitrust cases against Apple. Uh, Apple then, I think, went off script because I think um, Epic sort of had this whole thing scripted out and they sort of expected how Apple would respond and had everything ready. But Apple went, I think, off Epic's script and they said, tell you what, there's a clause in the developer agreement that says that we can pull it if you breach it. So um, we're going to kill your developer accounts and all of your apps will go off our stores on both the Mac and the P and iOS. And by the by, that developer license you use to develop the Unreal Engine that you saw the people were going to take that too because you as a corporation are in breach. Uh, right. <laughs> Epic panicked a bit, as, as, as I would too if I were them. Uh, and so they immediately filed an update to their court case asking for a restraining order requesting two things, sort of, you know, shoot for the moon. One, that the court force Apple to reinstate the Fortnite app even though it's continuing to breach the rules. So while the, the litigation about whether or not Apple are allowed to enforce their App Store rules, well, that's going on. Apple should be forced to let the game continue on the store in clear violation of the disputed rules. And they said this was an emergency. Their, corporate, their entire business was at risk because of Apple. And they also asked that Apple be prevented from killing their developer accounts because Unreal Engine. And the judge sort of went, mm, no, and yes. So, no, this isn't really Apple enforcing some sort of emergency on you, Epic. You engineered this. This is entirely possible for you to resolve. Just submit an update that doesn't breach the rules. And then when the court case is settled, it'll be settled. So they did not force Apple to put the game back on the store. But they did say that, well, actually, it's a sub, it's sort of a daughter company of Epic that make the Unreal Engine. So Apple can't stop development of the Unreal Engine. Apple also released emails showing that Apple Epic asked them for a special sweetheart deal, which they declined. Uh, Microsoft actually filed uh, documents on the injunction case in support of protecting the Unreal Engine but not in defense of anything to do with restoring Fortnite to the App Store. They only filed in support of the Unreal Engine, um, which is an interesting subtlety. And then um, the next thing, uh, oh yeah, Apple sort of... uh, Anyway, Apple sort of did a bit of shade and promoted something called PUBG, which is apparently a Fortnite competitor that's actually been around longer than Fortnite itself. So they used their editorial section of the App Store to promote PUBG. And then rather embarrassingly, were forced to pull it from their Indian App Store because India is also having a bit of a trade war with China and PUBG is owned by a Chinese company. Apple then went ahead and terminated Epic's developer account, but not the developer account used for the Unreal Engine. So all of Epic's apps are gone but the Unreal Engine can still be developed. So that is in keeping with the judge's rules, even though they have killed one of the uh, developer accounts. Uh, and Epic then went ahead and released her giant big update to their game and then sent a letter to their customers blaming Apple for the, the game not being available on iOS or the Mac. So that's where the Epic stuff was. Well, all that was going on, 
uh, all that was happening. And in the meantime, Apple briefly blocked WordPress uh, because they insisted that WordPress should add in-app purchase support for its subscriptions. And then they did a complete reversal and apologized to WordPress. That that was an own goal they probably should have avoided. Uh, well, I mean, clarity on that one. It's my understanding that WordPress went back in and just removed the links that were in their support help sections that Apple was unhappy about. Yes, their support help was actually supportive and helpful, and Apple will have none of that. Uh, <laughs> well, that, 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 it, was just, it was linking to where you could get a paid WordPress.com yeah. account. It, that, yeah, that was the thing. The, the, so, it yeah, I just want to be like clear that, that it wasn't years. just Apple. Apple didn't didn't just do a mea culpa and say, "Oh, we're sorry." Uh, they still made they still made WordPress follow the rules and then said, okay, now you can come back. That, that's a fair so. point, actually. And um, <laughs> just there's a complete bugbear of mine that Apple make it illegal to be helpful to the user. Like Netflix can't have a piece of text that says, in order to use this app, you need to sign up for a Netflix account at netflix.com. You can't help users because Apple insists on turning the App Store into a profit center and therefore they're incentivized to be user hostile. I just wanted to be clear, though, because the the way some of the media has made the WordPress thing sound like Apple, you know, went, oh, no, we just made a mistake. You can come back. And and no, they still made them they still made them remove the things that they were offended, offended by. Which is interesting because that app has been like that for literally years. Yeah, nobody just just nobody noticed in you know, some reviewer was going through the help section and went, wait a minute, this link links to a page where you can pay to sign up for a WordPress.com account. And even though the WordPress app itself is for the, you know, supporting the free version of, of WordPress and nothing to do with WordPress.com, um, it still technically violates Apple's rules. Yeah, and it wasn't even like that those links were easy to get to. It was basically right. if you went far enough down the rabbit hole in the help section you could find yourself in a part of the help section that mentioned wordpress.com which is why they didn't get seen probably for so long yeah but it also tells me that apple are proactively trying to find ways to extract more money (laughs) which i don't like i have many shades of not happy but anyway that's neither here nor there all that was going on uh facebook then let it be known that both apple and google prevented them from adding text to the description of their app explaining to users how the commission works on the App Store. So basically, honesty with your customers is not acceptable to Apple and Google because their business model is obviously so unpopular that they have to keep it away from customers. So that that to me is just insane. You can't tell people the reality about how the money works here. That's not acceptable. Poof! Head explodes. Um, while all that is going on, of course, Apple's App Store continues to receive or to attract antitrust attention all over the world. So the European Commission let it be known that it was aware of Microsoft and Facebook's issues with Apple. So that goes back to the gaming stuff. A Russian watchdog has ruled that the App Store is anti-competitive. A U.S. congressman has introduced legislation that he hopes will end tech deeply disturbing antitrust behavior. Korea has confirmed that it's investigating Apple and Google's 30% cut. Um, another a Russian lawmaker has introduced a bill to cap the App Store's fees at 20%. Germany is considering an App Store and is watching the Epic Games case, quote, very carefully. Japanese developers 
got very cranky at Apple, um, and the Japanese government is now also investigating. So you have all of that going on. Also this month, Apple finally implemented the improvements they promised at WWDC. So while all the developers are cranky, they now have the ability to um, challenge the guidelines. So I can just imagine Epic Games submitting a challenge. Dear Apple, allow third-party app stores, thanks. <laughs> I'm sure they sent that as feedback. Um also, um, I'm assuming for pure reasons, Apple decided to release a press release saying that uh, the iOS economy has created 300,000 jobs since 2019. News publishers want better terms on the App Store, of course. Why not pile on while everyone's cranky at Apple? Um, Apple did announce a positive thing for developers, which I got rather lost in the noise. Um, there's a new feature that allows developers to create subscription offer codes for their apps. So if you're selling some hardware, you can actually include an offer code with the hardware um, or you can distribute them digitally or whatever. Basically, it allows you to attract more subscriptions easier for users. So that's actually a very good thing for developers that Apple is doing, but got almost no coverage. And finally... Um, after complaints from Facebook, actually I say finally, but there's actually more stories, sorry, nearly finally. After complaints from Facebook, Apple has delayed one of the key privacy improvements iOS 14 was to give us, which meant that uh, no app could access the tracking ID without permission from the user. Apple said they're going to go ahead with that, but not with the launch of iOS 14. They're going to leave it a little bit longer to give developers time to transition, which makes me very sad. Um, Apple have also provided guidance to developers to help them prepare their privacy nutrition label questionnaire for their apps for iOS 14. And finally, very interestingly to me, Setapp was able to launch an iOS companion to their apps as a service that abides by Apple's App Store rules. And they say they proactively got Apple's approval for their plans before they went ahead with them. So they didn't try to sneak it in a la Epic. They worked with Apple and were able to release a companion to their service uh, for their for Mac apps, which is very interesting to me. How does that work? The reason I mean... it works is because they are all companion apps to the Mac app, and therefore they comply with a clause in Apple's rules. But you have to have a separate subs- subscription. Exactly. So you have to be a setup subscriber. And that gets you a whole bunch of Mac apps, and some of those Mac apps have companion iOS apps, and those companion apps are allowed to be included through Setup's process. And you basically have to scan a QR code that gets you effectively a voucher, and that effectively buys the app for you. So that is... But would... Maybe I need to install the app. Um, I'm assuming... So does that mean the set app app on ios is there a set app app on ios now and does it work like an app store like their current app okay no so you download the app and then within the mac app you scan a qr code on your iphone which is basically a link to an app store voucher that gets you the ios app unlocked ah gotcha so it's probably using that voucher thing that you just said that they just added i would imagine but you have to pay a subscription for the ios set app as well as your and uh, no you have to have at least a two device license which uh, uh, I so it's believe... the same license for two macs or a mac and an ios device 
It's not a specific iOS license. You need to have license to use at least two devices. Ah, okay. Then I've I've misunderstood what I read about it, but I'm not a set app user, so I... it's a very no, subtle but... distinction. Basically, you you pay for setup per seat, and your iOS device would count as a seat. It's not a specific iOS license. It's you need two seats because your Mac right. and your phone are two different devices. But for most most set app users, that effectively means you have to buy another seat. Correct. Because most set app users only have one seat. Correct. For their Mac. Yeah. Okay. Like I say, it's a subtlety. Um, yeah. But and, this but is it, about subtleties. So hmm. while all of those facts were happening, there were, of course, lots and lots of people chiming in with their opinions. The founder of ProtonMail says Apple uses its monopoly to hold all of us hostage, developers, a whole bunch of analysis stories sort of um, giving opinions and putting all this stuff together linked in the show notes. Um, a lot of people are pointing out that Epic's Epic's interest is in themselves, not in making things better for users. So don't assume that if Epic wins, that it will be yeah. better for users. It will definitely be better for Epic, uh, but it may not actually be better for users at all. Yeah, d- despite Epic claiming that they're you know they're doing this to support uh, developers on iOS, but actually what they're trying to do is set up their own alternative store and get um, developers to put their apps in their store. By the, the Epic, right? You know, and not in uh, iOS App Store directly. Um, they're purely interested in breaking <laughs> breaking the App Store. That's what they're interested in, and getting a cut for themselves. Um, yeah, and the other thing that I find fascinating is that Epic have no problem whatsoever with the exact same thirty percent cut they give to Nintendo and the exact same thirty percent cut they give to Microsoft, but somehow it's different on Apple. Because Microsoft takes a loss on their consoles. This is what Epic is saying. Because those companies take a loss on their consoles and then uh, provide more um, marketing support and help. So, you know, they'll cross-market and cross-promote their games in, you know, ads and all those sorts of things. So they feel like they get more value from that as opposed to with Apple, you know, it's like if you're lucky, you're lucky to get in the editorial part of the store, which they do. And they obviously partner, but yeah, I don't know. It's, I don't buy it's it. a, veiled, no, I don't buy that at all. That's, that's smoke. Yeah. That's smoke and mirrors. If you want exactly. my honest opinion, that's uh, I agree. Yeah. The, the last three links in the show notes actually um, are particularly interesting. I ordered an interview with two gaming experts and they sort of go through the pros and cons, which I thought was very interesting. And then there's two podcast episodes I got a lot out of. There's an under the radar episode called Store Wars, great name, uh, where actual Apple developers talk about or developers for iOS talk about this stuff, not developers who work for Apple, independent developers who write stuff for iOS. Um, and Renny Ritchie did a very good take uh, on this, whole, a very thoughtful take on all this called Wrong About the App Store, Apple versus Antitrust uh, on his new Renny Ritchie podcast. So, as I say, lots of stuff linked there in the show notes. Oh, so much to digest. <laughs> um, I, I'm actually in the process of finishing off a blog post where I'm trying to sort of capture my thoughts on this and... My my thinking on all of this sort of focuses on okay, let's put the users first. What do what do we care about? What do we as users want? And I would sort of say that the most important things that we want 
you know, from the store is we want to have easy access to high quality apps at a fair price. We want to have confidence that everything we download from that store is safe. If we go to the store, we don't want stuff that'll brick our phones. We don't want stuff that'll hijack our phones and turn them into, you know, devices to exploit us either by stealing our money or our privacy. We want to have confidence that all the financial transactions are freely and fairly entered into in a transparent way with proper consent. We want to have access to a wide range of media from a wide range of providers at a fair price. And where I think I might veer a little bit off the mainstream is that, in my opinion, music, movies, TV shows, podcasts and books are all media. And so are games. I should be able to have a game store like I have a bookstore, a podcast store and a streaming TV store. And that sort of means that I think Apple need to stop treating games like a copy of Outlook and start treating games like a novel. And that would change things a lot. and would probably make reasonable game developers much happier. <sighs> That's a tough call, though, right? Because if you look at the top category of apps on the App Store for Apple, mm-hmm. which is a huge profit center for their business, especially their growing services business. Yep. It's games. They, yeah, I'll get to that in a moment. The minute they let the minute they open that floodgate, every app developer is just going to develop their own app store app and with their own in-app purchases, and all of that revenue goes away for Apple for the most part. Mm-hmm. I get to that in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other thing I think that we as end users want is we want easy access to our digital services, right? I want to be able to get contacts, calendaring, social media, cloud storage, all of those services. I want to be able to get them from anywhere. So I want to be able to receive a meeting request in in my pro version of Slack, add it to my office calendar, compose an email to the organizer from my paid for Gmail account and attach a spreadsheet from my pro Dropbox. That should just work on iOS. It should, you know, there should be no problem getting access to all of my third-party services, and I shouldn't have to pay extra to use those services on my iOS device. Like, I don't pay extra to Dropbox to use it on my Mac or my PC, and Android users don't pay extra. And that's mm-hmm. kind of where the Hey thing from last month really got me cranky, because why was Hey different to all the mail providers who get to who who get to, to, to be seen as reader apps, but Hey somehow isn't a reader app? And Slack was by the, you know, Hey was from the same people who made Slack and Slack's a reader app, but somehow Hey wasn't. Just didn't make any sense to me. Um, And sort of the last thing is I want all of the mechanisms Apple put in place to protect me to be as transparent to me as possible. Basically, I want my cake and I want to be able to eat it at the same time. I want to have a great experience and all that safety and I don't want it to reduce my user experience. I don't want it to be an inconvenience to me. I want to have everything. I'm not saying I can have that, but that's what I want. <laughs> of course we want that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm with you. I want all those things too. That'd be awesome. And to me, where a lot of this stuff has gone off the rails is a, a massive shift in Apple's thinking. And it's probably, now that I think about it, the biggest difference between Apple under Steve Jobs and Apple under Tim Cook. When Steve Jobs stood on stage and announced the App Store, he said explicitly that it was... To break even at best, it wasn't about mm-hmm. making money. It was there to make the platform better. Mm-hmm. Tim Cook said, services are the future for our 
revenue growth. We're going to double services revenue in two years. The incentive that puts in place is for Apple to basically encourage games that pressure kids into in-app purchases for Smurf berries, which I find a horrible practice. It incentivizes Apple to find every excuse to get a 15 or 30% cut everywhere they can. It incentivizes Apple to make it illegal for Netflix to offer useful help text. It incentivizes Apple to proactively chase down apps like WordPress and to invent a massive problem out of something that has been fine for years. It incentivizes Apple to give developers like Hey a hard time. Basically, the incentive puts Apple's interests at odds with our interests. It incentivizes Apple to make the store as icky as we'll tolerate That's the Facebook business model. And the reason I generally love Apple is because Apple's business model is usually, and it's expressed by Tim Cook very often, build great products and profit will follow. Apply that to the App Store, please, Apple. I shall now vacate the soapbox. I have probably made half of my (laughs) listeners shockingly cranky at me. Um. But they're my thoughts, and I've, I've basically spent the last week trying to marshal my thoughts together in preparation for this, and that's kind of where I've ended up. Um, and I'm almost ready to publish a properly reasoned blog post along those lines. So I hope to have that out before the end of the weekend. Uh, I, I think I pretty much agree with you, to be honest, Bart. I, I don't think there's anything there that I would, you know, take issue with from, you know, from from your... um. My thesis. Your thesis there, yeah. Um, I think it's right because actually, although the iOS app store can be great, it's also a sea of nasty apps that attempt to bleed money out of you. Um, And and some of them in somewhat dubious manner. And Apple do fight back about that, but only when it gets media attention. And it's sort of like like when Facebook get caught with their fingers in the privacy jar. They'll they'll respond enough to make people not leave, but they won't respond any more than that. I mean, I think we all agree that. Well, I mean, not everybody agrees, but I think a large number of us agree that the App Store is overall a good thing, you know, that a a managed, a curated garden or a curated store is actually for the best. um, Yes. And it keeps the, you know, the most uh, egregious uh, kind of abuses out. Um. And I don't actually think a 30% cut from Apple is actually outrageous. If you look around, you know, wholesale type industries, I mean, in in retail, you know, the, the difference between a wholesale product and a retail product can be is way more than a 30% markup. You know, it's often 60, 70% or more. Um so I and you know Google take thirty percent and Nintendo and and all those other sort of people they all take cuts of thirty to fifty percent. So that's not 
outrageous. It's not like Apple are charging way more than anybody else and exploiting their position. I, I, it wouldn't hurt Apple, I suppose, to cut back a bit, and that would make a lot of people get off their back a bit. But I think they're right. getting themselves into a bigger problem now, where everybody, because it's been flagged and a lot of big people are kicking off. You are getting people like the EU and whatnot starting to say, well, we're not sure about this. And I think if Apple aren't careful, and a lot of people have said this, they're going to find themselves in a situation where possibly badly thought out regulation is going to be dumped on them. And they're going to like that a hell of a lot less well, I don't, than uh, what's worse making is some changes themselves. Us as users yes. are going to like that a hell of a lot less because I, I, I think Apple could address these things better if they chose to than I believe the authors of the GDPR could. Great. So the question I have for you, Bart, because I, I mean, I, I, I like a lot of the things that you said. Um, I, you know, obviously the app store, like I was alluding to earlier, is a big part of Apple's services thing. And you, and you recognize that in the statements that you were, you were making. But the other thing that you talked about was the convenience and the security and the privacy and the ease of, of purchasing things that the app store brings. Like, I love the fact that everything goes through my Apple account. I, I yeah. you know, I prefer that as a consumer. I think that's a great consumer experience. Agreed. Um, so, I mean, how do you resolve that? I mean, cause at this point, the genie's already out of the bag, right? Apple has gone down this route and this is a big part of their revenue. They can't just, probably easily dump or move away from. Um, and I think Rene Ritchie in his piece, and I, I, I agree with you on, on the work that he did. I watched it on his YouTube channel, which is great. Um, he did a great job of sort of breaking this down. And so really the options that Apple have, right. In my opinion, I sort of agreed with Rene and I had thought about this myself is like, you know, is the 30% cut, uh, correct and right could could they lower that and still um operate the app store like that that's one question in my mind is like they're obviously profiting off of that and and as steve jobs pointed out that wasn't the original intent um you know could they back off on that and, and is that a way but that doesn't solve some of the other problems that you're talking about in terms of you know treating games like reader app things and and game developers being able to have their own stores within their own apps and things like that so then you're sort of left with the option of you know i don't want to call it side loading but more of a model that like what we have on the mac right where if i want the secure safe environment and i want the curated app experience and i want to make sure that all those things are available to me then i don't go into my settings and i don't go into gatekeeper and i don't change that little little box right but if i do want to say i want to get you know epic's game store app on ios and i want to install it on my thing and i want to buy games from them through them i i think that's the approach I would prefer to Apple to see Apple take is like, just let's bring what we have on the Mac over to iOS. And for those people who want the option, they can uncheck that box and say, yep, I'm willing to assume, assume the risks that, you know, I'm getting some unsigned app from some developer and that's okay with me. And I want that. Um, See, you know, let the, I, I'm with you, let the consumers make the choice, but I don't, I don't know that there's a path forward where you can, 
maintain that ease of use security. I want all my payments in one place um, sort of model and, and, you know, have people like Epic who want to do what they want to do um, in the app store. But maybe I'm wrong. I, I think you can retain more of it than you fear. So you don't have to go a full on allow any old side loading, right? The, the security can be imposed at the OS level and can be entirely app store agnostic. So you can enforce sandboxing at the OS level. You can, so a lot of those protections, you can enforce app notarization even where they have to go through a malware scanner. And regardless of what app store they come through, that they have to be notarized. So it's like having the, the Mac toggle, but not having the option where anything goes. So you can still have it that you could have multiple app stores without losing the security. The thing that I can't conceive of protecting in that world is the payment stuff. Right. I think that's what we would really, really stand to lose. And that's a big deal because... It's a huge deal, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't like the idea that I could sign up to an app and they could be stealing my credit card number and stuff. Like there is a lot to be said for the safety and security of having it all go through Apple's payment structure. But sort of What's my idea the of, of so a, that, that's, that's the other part of the question, right? Is that is that a thirty percent? But with I don't all think the it's about things. the 30%, right? So I'm not going to fixate on the number because then you get into silly arguments like how many angels dance on the head of a pin. It's it's kind of about the sure. model in my mind. And why are Apple up for so much antitrust? It's because if you are Netflix or if you are Spotify, you are at a 30% disadvantage in Apple's ecosystem because Apple are proactively competing against you. So Apple are your competitor and their judge, jury and executioner of the only mechanism you have for distributing your content on iOS. So they're the referee and they're the player. And that's that's what makes Europe uncomfortable for sure. Um, And one way I think to mitigate that massively is to say that the App Store is infrastructure. It breaks even and we have the accounts to show it. The App Store isn't about profit. The App Store is just about providing a service. And then I think the antitrust pressure falls off dramatically. You could really help things along then by, without changing the model, like don't do anything dramatic, just tweak what we have. So you lay out very clear categories for apps. Like, I mean, we have this vague concept of a reader app that we sort of kind of have a hand-waving definition of. Set it in stone transparent rules for how you qualify so that developers know what the goalposts are clearly. I mean, that would be a huge game changer. So don't do it for profit and be much more open and transparent. And I think you could get away with a future where we get to keep everything we have and we get to have a better experience than we have now and we get to not have Apple forced to do horrible things because of antitrust. But I think they have to sacrifice this as a revenue stream. Yeah, I, I I think I'm with you there. I mean, it, it would be, they'd probably still be in the same boat as they are now, even if Steve hadn't said it, but Steve did say it. And that means that they have, in effect, broken a pledge, haven't they? They made a pledge originally. I don't know, they've changed policy, right? I mean, it was, they well, signed yeah, on the dotted line. They, you know, no, Apple but, changed policy many times. That's a right. reasonable yes, thing to do. but at the same time, that is what is 
digging them in a hole right now. Um, yeah. Because people are pointing at them and going, yeah, but you're not just providing a service, are you, for which you are charging us a fee or percentage. You are blatantly making a massive profit um, and blocking other people from um, getting on your platform um, if they don't, you know, give you your protection money, if you like. Uh, that's what's attracting the the antitrust brigade. That's what's going to get, you know, bring down a ton of hot bricks on everybody's head, as I see it. And the other the other way to look at it, well, another way to look at it is if Apple wasn't a competitor, if, if the App Store wasn't being used to apply pressure to competitors, then the App Store people could be much more cooperative with the likes of Spotify and Epic and Netflix and Hey, and they could work out way, you know, if they weren't, if it wasn't a way in which Apple was using their power to compete, then they would probably be able to arrive at compromises that allow us to keep all the things we as users want and keep the developers happy. And so you have, you would have a much healthier relationship between the App Store and the third party developers. And I, I'm a huge believer in the importance of, indie developers not just continuing to exist but thriving and making a living and you know having a good quality of life as an indie developer writing great software for the platform i love like i want that i want that badly so i don't want apple to have a sour relationship with their developers and to me this using the app store for profit is promoting a souring of relationship with developers yeah I can I can feel that, and I'm assuming when you when you're talking about Apple's ability to do more compromises, you're you're meaning for all, not like the compromises they have been making that they said they haven't been making, right? Yeah, exactly. So if you have open <laughs> and transparent rules, you tweak those open and transparent rules so that everyone knows where the goalposts are at all times. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I just want to want to be clear about that because that is one thing that has irked me about this whole thing was Tim Cook. Uh, continually coming out and saying that they treat all developers exactly the same when we know that's a blatant. We know that's not true. They absolute special deals with Netflix and certain companies. Yeah. 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 So (laughs) that was, that was the biggest thing that bothered me here. Uh, You know, uh, it's a, it's a tough one again, because Apple has put a lot of their eggs in this basket. And if they're going to have to go back on it, either through public pressure or through governmental pressure, you know, it's not going to be very great for them. Um, but I think it's not detrimental either. They could obviously change this stuff and pivot and, and adapt and, and survive. And there's um, a lot more, you know, the other thing that is the commission, right? Yeah, and, well, and and <laughs> a couple of years ago, it would have been much easier for them to get away from this antitrust stuff. But you know, now they've launched their own services, right? So now they have their own TV things, and now Netflix kind of does have a point. Like they're directly competing, but they're the gatekeepers on on the place where we can have our content. And same thing for these gaming services now, right? Because you've got Apple Arcade, and now you have something you can point to and say, "Well, look." You know, they have an unfair advantage here because, you know, they're not having to pay themselves their 30 percent cut. But if we want in, you know, so imagine one future where regulators walk in and they say, right, you can't be the referee and a player. 
Therefore, you can't do original content. You can't do Apple Music. You can't do Apple Arcade. Bloody hell, that'd be a lot worse life. Like, I, I would hate that future. So, oh, yeah. to, to me, the only way to avoid that future is for the App Store not to be a profit center. The only, the only other way around that, and it's not much better, by the way, would be for things like arcade and music and TV to be spun out as separate subsidiaries. But then right. they would have to go into the App Store on the same terms, as it were, as everybody else. Yeah, see, I, I don't like that because the full widget thing is is actually exactly very very valuable to me as a user. It's why I, it's one of the reasons Indeed. I like Apple. And I'm not I, suggesting that that's a great solution. I'm just saying, but you could see that being enforced by antitrust as well, and that's not a great solution either. No, and I guess the I, other I think, possibility is you force them to open up third party app stores, which is also deeply flawed from a user experience point of view. Yes, that's why that's why I think if this really comes to if this really comes to a head and it looks like, you know, they're going down that path where they're going to be facing some sort of uh, loss of these lawsuits or government regulation. I think we uh, to me, it feels like the only option available to Apple is going to be to take on more of the Mac App Store model and give developers away like we were just talking about to, you know, hopefully safely sideload stuff and they just won't exist in the app store but they'll still have a path to ios that is outside the app store yeah where they can do the things that they want to do I, that that seems like where we that seems like apple's really only option because i don't think they're going to want to open up the app stores in the ways that these developer the app store the current app store in the ways that these developers want them to um and it's worked well on the mac like i would argue that you know Interestingly enough, though, I probably don't buy much on the Mac App Store for a lot of various reasons um, and get stuff outside. So no matter what, the dynamic of the App Store is going to change in the next significantly in the next couple of years. It's just going to have to. By 2025, it'll be a very different world. I don't know what it'll look like, but I hope to goodness it hasn't become a worse place for us, the Apple user. Yeah, that's and as you pointed out, that's the big fear, right? Um, yeah, because I, yeah, I, I don't see the experience being better if, um, you know, if they have to do the things in the app store that everybody wants them to do, unless Apple's just willing to dump that revenue. I guess that's that's the point, right? Is, Is it, to they're me, willing to, just... to, to me, that seems to be the only way we get to keep most of what we want. Yeah, yeah, is that they prove that they're just running it as a service and not as a profit center. Yeah, it's infrastructure. It underpins iOS. It keeps iOS an amazing yeah. platform and thereby sells iOS devices. And, you know, serves the developers and serves the, you know, the users and, and everything. I, I really think you're right about that. I think if they want to escape from ham-fisted, heavy-handed um legislation which could do in you know infinite amount of damage to the user experience i think that's probably one of their only routes forward okay well as expected that was you know a heated a long discussion and i imagine i imagine there are some cranky people shouting at their iphones at the moment um (laughs) 
disagreeing with me vehemently. And uh, that is, thankfully, we live in a world where that is your absolute right. Um, You can always send me some feedback. If you go to letstashtalk.ie, you can send me some feedback. I'm not the world's best person at getting back on people on feedback. Apologies for that. Real life has a habit of getting in the way. But anyway, before we wrap up the show, just a few quick stories to to rattle through. Um, Apple has published a document outlining its approach to uh, balancing its commitment to human rights and its legal obligations. Uh, This actually was requested by shareholders. And so Apple have prepared it, presumably because there's a shareholders meeting coming up, I would imagine. Um... Apple have updated their video software, so Final Cut Pro, so a fairly substantial update that includes a bunch of workflows to make it more efficient to work remotely, which is very much seen as a COVID-19 update. And uh, iMovie also got um, a little bit of TLC, which is sort of more fun user-facing features rather than, you know, workflow stuff, you know, comic, comic mono, ink filters, basically more of the cool stuff we like. Um, Apple is exp- expanding its independent repair provider program to include Macs, which is nice. Um, Apple Care Plus subscription, you can now sign up for it for a window of up to a year after you buy your device. Uh, the Apple Support app has been updated with wallet support for Genius Bar check-in, which is very convenient. Uh, UCLA and Apple are partnering for a study on depression and anxiety in the US. That's certainly good timing. Um the first floating Apple store has opened at Marina Sands in Singapore. Now, I don't normally mention every Apple store that opens because A, that just be far too many of them and, and B, who cares? But for the first time in years, this one I thought was exciting enough to mention. It's it's in a harbour and it's floating and it's a big, pretty Apple ball. If you haven't seen pictures of this, I highly recommend you do. It's I think it's wonderful to see Apple be this creative again. Oh my God. One of my listeners who lives in that region sent me a photo. And I have to tell you, because it was the sort of nighttime photo where it's mm-hmm. lit up and it's got all the colors and stuff like that. It actually looks like, I guess now that I'm thinking about it, it looks like the little sphere, sphere, Siri ball that appears on ah. well now on mac os or on the top of uh top of your home pod to a certain degree but i i thought it was a i thought it was a like fake computer rendering at first and he's like this is so the new surreal. apple store at Sing- singapore is that where it is yeah singapore yeah yeah and um i i thought it was fake and i had to zoom in i'm like wait a minute that's a real photo that is just bizarre yeah. it it threw me for a loop yeah it's very unlike any Apple store that they have done to date, for sure. Uh, Apple Maps is continuing to receive international TLC. Um, in Japan, Lookaround is coming to a bunch of new more cities, including Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto, and Nagoya. So they're fairly big cities. And in- Can I ask Apple to just bring that to, to San Diego soon, please? <laughs> <laughs> sure. And look around's amazing. Have you guys played with it? It's it's incredible. I want it everywhere. They need to hurry up. Hurry up. That's true, actually. And actually they did Ireland. Um I, I saw them they, they I exist in one of their photographs cycling around Manuse. Um but uh, Oh really? So you have look around in Yeah, we, we got to look around about six months after a whole bunch of friends sent me text messages going, I just got passed by an Apple car because they're like these white cars with spinny cameras on top and a giant big Apple logo. 
Um, they were not in any way being secretive about what they were doing. Um, and I, I saw the car myself, um, so I'm in some of the pictures, I presume. Uh, but yeah, we, 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 got the, we got the updated experience and it's very nice. Oh, no, no. I'm talking specifically about look around the yeah, street. Yeah, no, we have look around. I, I can go onto an Irish oh, street we... and see the shops and stuff. Which, is it in particular cities? Because that's how they're rolling it out here. I, unless I've been, I could have sworn it was just available where I needed it. Yeah, right now well, it's cool, only right? in like Las Vegas, LA. Uh, I think where else in the US. Maybe, maybe Washington. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm mistaken. I hope I'm not mistaken. We definitely got. I, I thought we'd gotten the look around stuff as well as the new maps experience. Yeah, they rolled out the new maps experience to get look around. They're going city by city, and it's been very slow. I don't doubt that the cars have been in your. The cars have been everywhere. I just, you know, it's obviously technology that just takes a really long time. But it it hands down beats Google uh, Street View by miles. Yeah, Street View is very clunky. No, you're you're right. Well, I'm sorry to say you're right, Adam. I don't have I don't seem to have the ability to drop into look around here. Yeah. But we do absolutely have this very pretty new maps experience. Yep. Which I guess is what those cars were doing. So hurry up and roll it out everywhere, Apple. Yes, please. Including here. You you can have it if I can have it. Cork or I don't know. Again, I don't know what part of Ireland you're in. So the charming village of Maynooth near Dublin. Dublin, yeah. So I would imagine it would come to Dublin before any place else. And who they don't seem to go that far out of the actual cities. So they seem to be fo- focusing on large cities first. Oh, San Francisco I probably has it. I would imagine. Well, I guess. You know, the scales are so different here because I'm in a different county to Dublin City, but I'm 20 miles from the city centre. So, yeah. Anyway. Um, The other thing then is slightly related. Google Maps have re-released their Apple Watch app and for the first time have added a CarPlay integration to Google Maps, which is definitely welcome for people who have CarPlay and like Google services. Well, that brings us to the end of my show notes. Um... Folks, thank you ever so much for giving so freely of your time. It was very much appreciated. Can you let the good listeners know where they can find out more of your stuff? Um, in Let's go in reverse order. Simon, where can the listeners get more of you? Uh, well, you can find us on the uh, Essential Apple Podcast, part of the uh, My Mac Podcasting Network, of course. Uh, and you can find... Uh, my stuff on essentialapple.com Excellent, and Adam, for those five people on planet Earth who don't know your podcast do do you want to plug your show? Sure, you can find uh, me at maccast.com or just look for maccast on your favourite podcasting app, it's available on all of them as far as I know, and if there isn't one email me, maccast at gmail.com and we'll get on there too Are you at this stage the longest running Mac podcast? Um, you're in the running for sure, right? It would probably, well, it would depend on your definition of a podcast, very likely. So I would imagine technically it would be Sean King with your Mac life, but I don't know that he started doing his as a podcast, like with an RSS feed, uh, before I did. So that's where the debate comes into play, because he was definitely doing like real audio and streaming audio over the internet, 
for years before I even started. So mm, I'm really going to I'm very picky on these things. To me, if there's no RSS feed with an MP3 enclosure, it's not a podcast. So that's then, why. Yes, I'm, I I was probably the first is, uh, that I'm aware of. Yeah. Well, anyway, you have certainly been, uh, uh, you know, serving this community for. Since 2004. I feel old now. <laughs> it's wonderful, though. And then, you know, thank, thank you for continuing to put out such a a fun show that continues to be relevant and a part of my must listen to regardless of the fact that you've been at it for years or no, because of the fact that you've been at it for years. <laughs> well, you're welcome. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, to the listeners of this show, all of the reading I have been doing this month to inform my opinions is all linked in the very long show notes at lets-talk.ie. Uh, while you happen to be there perusing those show notes, you will find a section in the sidebar called support the show. I want to thank all of you who have used some of those buttons to support the show in any way. Um, you can support the show non-financially by simply spreading the word. I mean, it's extremely valuable to just tell your friends, tweet about it, Facebook about it, review the show in various stores. That is all extremely helpful and extremely appreciated. But if you would like with the to, to help the practicalities of paying the bills... Um, there is a Patreon link where you can pledge a small dollar amount per episode release. There are exactly two shows every month, one Apple, one photography. So if you think I'm worth $2 a month, pledge me a dollar and it'll become two. If you think I'm worth five or a month, pledge two fifty, dollars It'll become a fiver. You get the idea. Uh, if you prefer to do a one-off, slightly larger donation, then uh, the most efficient way to do that is PayPal. So PayPal fee structure is terrible for small dollar amounts, but anything, you know, $5 and above, PayPal is actually the most efficient way to do so. So there's a PayPal link there. The basic idea is monthly bills get paid for out of Patreon and the intention is to break even and we're approximately at that point. And the PayPal money is for buying one-off things like software, hardware and all those kind of things. Um, so the mic I'm talking into, the boom arm holding that mic up, the software recording, what I'm saying, all of that has come through listener contributions over the years. So thank you to everyone who has supported the show and thank you to everyone who is considering doing so now. Well, I've prowled on for long enough. Uh, I've been your host, Bart Bouchot. So you can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello, everybody. This is Simon Parnell, the host of the Essential Apple Podcast, a show where we aim to take a wander around the week's news in Apple, news, reviews, technology, security, and anything else that catches our eye. Plus, from time to time, we like to have guests from the industry who we get to tell us about their products, their services, their history, their philosophies, what uh, drives them, and of course, just what makes them tick. That, plus a bunch of friends talking about the news in Apple. What more could you possibly want? Check us out on the My Mac Podcasting Network 